0: That's join MIDI.com.
1: Hi, guys, and welcome to Cult Classics with Chris. This will be a version of classic American movies in which I will be conducting interviews with those involved in making cult classic films. I've always wanted to do a podcast like this because I love cult classic films and I love knowing the history behind them and where the ideas came from and how the story evolved. So the first story I'll be doing will be of Anne Carlyle, who was the co-writer and star of Liquid Sky. I had first seen Liquid Sky on Shutter in 2017 during the tw- 35th anniversary and I immediately was intrigued by it. The front cover was this weird blue, uh, it had a painting, it uh, looked kind of like a woman's face, and I immediately was interested. So I watched it, blew my mind, and I had to know more about it. I reached out to Ann and asked her if she wanted to be part of the pod. So, Without further waiting, here is the interview with Anne Carlisle on the film Liquid Sky.
2: I was uh, a co-writer and the star of uh, the movie Liquid Sky, which is a cult classic now, and it was a great... It was phenomenal to make it. It was a lot of hard work. And people look at this movie and they think it was a party, it was not a party. It was a lot of hard work. Slava and I did have a lot of fun making the script. We laughed a lot when we were writing it, but the actual shooting was very stressful because we were making it on a low budget, and all the money went towards the image of the film. So we were shooting, uh, we didn't have money, so we were shooting in low light, at magic hour and it was it was stressful so no improvisation hmm?
1: I'm so, so the, the movie was mainly shot during magic hour really
2: well we were shot we were working to all the time of course but all those scenes on Margaret's roof were all shot during magic Hour.
1: oh my god was it was this you shot know, during like the winter time or the summer time or summertime oh man <laughs> into,
2: into the winter we, we you know we were shooting so long there's actually one scene The shot where my arms are flailing, there was ice on the roof. I thought I was going to fall. Oh,
1: my God. You know, that's the scene. When I first saw this movie, hands down, that's the most haunting scene in the movie, in my opinion. It gave me the chills for, I'd say, a good solid month. That was shot during the wintertime, and your dress is, like, half on, and... ooh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I didn't know that. That's so nuts. Oh, God, you must have been freezing.
2: Well, yeah, but I was also, I was so invested and so involved that, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't care.
1: So where did the idea of, the, of Liquid Sky originate?
2: Yeah, it's hard to say. It was the time. And uh, I had worked with Nina on a script about orgasm. And then Slava had an idea to make a science fiction movie about the UFO visiting a new wave model which I was at the time. He had been casting another movie, and I met him, and then they went to see a Super 8 movie that I had made and was showing in the clubs at night.
1: The movie you're talking about is Fish, correct?
2: Yes, that's correct. Then I started writing with Nina, and then I started writing with Slava.
1: Okay, so then the movie came from that. It was a combination, almost, of uh, Nina and your idea.
2: No, not Nina and my idea. No, Slava... Slava made, had the idea of a,
1: a, a UFO uh, and a new wave model. And I heard in yeah. an interview with him, he said he saw the movie kind of like a Cinderella story, where it was a woman looking for her Prince Charming, and get w- sort of what was involved in their speech at the end.
2: Yeah, I guess. I, you know, I <laughs> We were all nihilists, so... That didn't strike me at the time, you know, so looking for some, uh, a prince, well, I guess uh, an alien. Yeah, you well. Can't find <laughs> a prince on the earth. There was no prince on earth, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was interesting as well whenever I, I listened, I mean, I listened to his interview and I was like, I never thought of it like that, but yeah, she does kind of find her prince charming in there with the... With the you aliens. know, it's
2: a black humor. I, can't, I I was coming from a very dark place when we wrote that. Now I don't feel that way anymore. I kind of grew out of that. That was the time uh, in the club culture, and that was the culture, you know, of the clubs. You know, we were all nihilists.
1: You said that you were a new wave model in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s?
2: Yes, actually, the guy who comes on there and says, the, Show is right Whatever he says, let's get on with the show. Mm-hmm. He—that's Nikki Carson, who was an artist, and he—he was—he formed this new wave model agency called La Rocca And that's where the and mid- I was a new wave model. I showed—I had tons of pictures that I showed Slava when we were writing. You know, they were pictures of model pictures.
1: And that's where from the, the new mid-
2: waves, though—they were new wave model pictures.
1: What's the difference between new wave modeling and regular modeling at the time for people who would not know?
2: It's hard to describe. It was now you see colored hair. At that time, that was shocking. So you would see it in the subway in New York, but that's the only place you would probably see it. But I had had my hair all different colors and the makeup is extreme and asymmetrical and, uh, and the clothing was extreme uh, and not conventional. We weren't trying to be pretty. Hmm. And there was an androgynous quality to almost everything. It was almost... In the movie, I, I split myself. So I made Margaret more feminine and Jimmy more, uh, not more masculine, but I split myself. So, But my, my normal persona in that world was to combine that and play with that, you know, to have man's shoes on and a miniskirt.
1: If you don't mind, what happened with the guy who was originally supposed to play Jimmy? I understand it was supposed to be another actor.
2: He just didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't show up. And Slava always had it in the back of my, his mind for me to play both parts. And it wasn't a hard thing to go into because Jimmy came from me. Yeah, I, I, there was a guy I knew and I, and I based it on. But then, you know, part of that was me splitting off in my self-hatred. So from a psychological point. It was very easy for me to play Jimmy. But I my audition was that I went into a bar dressed as a man and picked up a girl. Did it work? Yeah, sure. She was leaving the club, and then I told her that it was an audition.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> Do you, do you remember how that conversation went down when you went to go pick No, we, we
2: we were we were location scouting, and, and I said I can do this. Believe me, and I went over to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember what you said to her?
2: No, I don't.
1: but That's funny. Oh, wow. I just
2: came. I I just came on to her. You know.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, being a woman, I imagine you would know what another woman would like to hear from a man. So that probably worked a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: it did. Uh, the, how was that doing the, the both roles at one time? Because there was a lot of conflict between Jimmy and Margaret. How was that battling back and forth with, with yourself almost?
2: Well, you know, what, what, what we did was he had a, it was a lighting stand and he put a little ball at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And that was Jimmy and Margaret. And we did, we would actually physically tape half the cat, you know, it only expose half the film and then rewind it and film the other side.
0: Oh, wow.
2: It was kind of primitive, you know, uh, special effects. And it worked. Yeah. It looked looked beautiful.
1: (laughs) It does. You you,
2: you have to understand, we had no no room for mistakes. There was no improvisation. You know, I had to get it on the first take. If I didn't get it, they still used it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. There wasn't, there wasn't, we didn't have any... Room.
1: There was only no, there was no room for improv at all. Everything had to be done because of the the Perfect. tight budget. They
2: had to be done the first time, maybe the second time. Wow! But you know,
1: I heard Slava talk about on the uh, commentary saying that everything was shot with bright neon, so there wasn't a lot of like you said, not a lot of room for improv. So actors weren't really allowed to move as freely as you would normally do. How was that? No,
2: you couldn't move. I couldn't move. This focus, you know, the focus. uh, especially when I was putting the makeup on, you know? Yeah, you're talking about the scene with the... the the... I had no depth of focus.
1: I couldn't move at all. (laughs) You can tell whenever you're watching it. Your face is very still and you put it on. And it's a very haunting and beautiful scene. uh, We're talking about at the end there. Of the film, but it it explains why your face does not move at all while you're shooting the scene, and it's it's haunting. But at the same time, when I'm watching it for the first time, I was like, "Why isn't she moving?" (laughs) So (laughs) I guess I guess now we all know the reason. Out
2: of focus. That's why.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But um, how 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 long of a shoot was this? It
2: was long. Like so, it was long because we had to there was a lot of things that were not used you know in the final thing it was a much longer film the first cut the first the first cut I think was like three hours
1: no kidding Did what? what was what was cut out that was originally supposed to be in the movie
2: Jimmy's monologue
1: he had a whole monologue yes oh wow do you remember what he said
2: yeah I do of course I remember I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: would you would you mind saying it? I mean, if you're but, comfortable doing that.
2: No, 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 I, I, I'm not gonna do it now. Okay. But Slava wrote, you know, you were asking about the monologue. Slava added the monologue, I'm from Connecticut, Mayflower Stock, while we were shooting. Hmm. He wrote, he went home and wrote that. He felt it was needed. So to some, but he'd been to Connecticut. I took him to Connecticut. We, we shot some stills in Connecticut, the town I was born in. Mm. So he knew my story, and he summed it up beautifully. And that's what makes that scene, that culmination scene. He, oh. he He's really amazing.
1: I didn't realize that he made it up almost like a couple of days prior to shooting it? or, or...
2: Yes. Wow. Yes. The,
1: okay. That's a beautiful speech. I love it so much, too. It's I so think hungry. it
2: was almost the day of. He handed it to me. He just felt it was needed. He, he's a brilliant guy.
1: <laughs> I can, yeah, I mean, my friend.
2: He is my best my friend.
1: What was the, you said it was a long shoot. Do you know yeah. roughly how many days it was?
2: I don't remember. Okay. It was a long time ago, you know.
1: It was several months or a couple of weeks?
2: Three. Three months, I think.
1: About three months? Wow, that's, that's a long shoot. <laughs> yeah. As I said, I work on film sets as well, and three months is definitely a A lot of people don't realize that's almost like a lifetime. <laughs> feel like it yeah, when it's you're a done. Do you remember, was it shot in... People were
2: going nuts. They were really, really tired. And the crew, you know, nobody was being paid mm. practically anything, you know. So we had a, we had a strike over the food. Nina Nina was the producer, and she was giving them gourmet Russian food, which they couldn't relate to at all. And she didn't understand what was the problem. So they wanted pizza. And she said, pizza? <laughs> which was much cheaper <laughs> than – and hamburgers. It was much cheaper than what she was giving them. But <laughs> it was See, easy for her to make the transition and stop the strike because – you know, it was, <laughs> it was no brainer. like a no-brainer. you know, sure, you can have pizza if that's what you want. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> but stopping, you know, that stoppage, you know, cost us a lot of money. Of course, and it panicked us. We thought the movie was over. What you
1: know? about what time was that during the filming of it?
2: I I'm sorry. I think it's like a month and a half in. Slavo would remember
1: probably. It probably gave him a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. The the models that were used in this movie, they were fellow models with La-Rocca you? LaRocca
2: models. They were the LaRocca models. They knew each other from other LaRocca shoots, yes. Oh, okay.
1: And also the hair and makeup, that was part of uh, Sinandre? Is that how it's spelled? Am I saying that correctly? Sinandre.
2: Sinandre. Yes, yes. Sinatra, which was a very very well-known salon, one of the first to... Actually, I did a shoot where they did them before the movie from LaRocca Agency for Japan poster that was in the subway. And LaRocca did the ma- makeup for that, yeah. Oh. I mean, no, not LaRocca. Sinandra did the makeup for that.
1: Would you say that you were a well-known model before making this movie?
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> it was known, you know, to... to the club world.
1: You were, you were was, a club. It's
2: its own world and we functioned at night. You know, I didn't see the daylight until I started working on the script. <laughs> <laughs> I was living at night. Okay.
1: You were about 23 when you did this movie or 22? No. <laughs> no. Much younger? No. Like 18, 19?
2: No, no. Older. I was older. Really? And, yeah, I was older. Maybe wow. not mature. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the mask is so iconic in this movie and means so much as far as covering people's faces. And then that at the was end.
2: Slava's idea. That was Slava's idea. And a, a famous, well, he wasn't famous, really. He was uh, famous in Russia. He an immigrant uh, who's a jeweler made that, mo- that, that mask, cast that mask first.
1: So it was a one of a kind, strictly for the movie.
2: Yes, and I think he built the UFO as
1: well. I saw that Slava still has the UFO. He put it on top of his bookshelf, and then it fell off one day, and that what gave him the idea to revisit everybody.
2: (laughs) Yes, yes, that's
1: right. It it happens like that. How long of a we we discussed that it was about uh, maybe roughly three months of a shooting schedule. How were the days? Was it very long shooting days or
2: yes, yes. you know, I lived on the set, yes. the main set. For me, I just literally got up and they put my makeup on. But imagine the people that had to commute there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At a time, this long shoot, the crew and everything. Yeah. The it, crew was really like, they were heroes, really, because they were working <laughs> such long hours and being, they were exhausted. Everyone was exhausted.
1: They were all, I assume, locals.
2: They were locals, but it's a low-budget movie. They were not in the union.
1: And shooting inside your house, how was that like? From somebody who has shot a short film. Oh, I film. had no
2: privacy. It was impossible. <laughs> Here's what happened. Here's what happened. My girlfriend had this house, and I said, wow, this is really beautiful, and it make, would make a great film uh, thing for the, for the script we're writing. And she said, "Well, we might leave, and when we leave, uh, I'll let you know." So she left, and we secured. That was the first money we spent was to secure that location. That was the pre, first pre production money we spent to so secure the location, and then I moved there and lived there until we were ready to shoot.
1: And that was right by the. It had a view of the Empire State Building.
2: It did. It was cold winter and hot in the summer there was no air conditioning
1: Whoa. <laughs> very
2: beautiful place very uncomfortable
1: <laughs> and shooting around the clock and came
2: at night drunk and was singing through the, my window, <laughs> staring me to death <laughs> <laughs> and i and 'm trying to sleep because we don't, we don't know how many times to sleep, right?
1: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've shot, um, one, I've shot uh, numerous short films of my own. I did one of them inside of my uh, condo here in Atlanta, Georgia. And it is not fun. <laughs> so I can imagine shooting no. the majority of Liquid Sky in your own home. It was probably like, ah, uh, like nails on a chalkboard almost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it
2: was difficult.
1: So what was, the, what was it like after the film was released? Was there, was there a wide release of this film or was it just kind of it was big? It in the... grew
2: slowly, but, but, you know, it played at the Waverly forever. Forever, at night, it played and played and played and played. So it had a a great uh, midnight movie uh, run at the Waverly. I think it was the longest running cult movie ever. Oh, really? At the Waverly? At the Waverly. Yes.
1: I read that it was there for 23 weeks, which is a hell of a long run. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I don't know where, I don't know, No, I thought it was longer, but sure I, I don't know. It, it, it really it really ran a really long time. And so it seemed to keep growing, you know. It's it's, it's like a thing that, I, I thought the time had come for it, but it seemed like people weren't ready for it for a while, you know. Maybe it was before its time.
1: I think it I think it was personally, I believe that this film at the time it probably came out and was what received with certain folks, and then over time, it has definitely generated a mass following uh i've I've spoken about this movie to numerous people, and they instantly know what I'm talking about <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, i I was great uh, yeah, it's fantastic. I really think that this should be a film that everyone should see just to know. That films like this do exist almost like filmmakers
2: well you know I always thought it would be successful, I really, really really did, and I was surprised it wasn't more successful than it than it was when it you know I thought it but uh, in New York, I got a lot of, of press, so i was i i you know i i can't say that New Yorkers didn't know, but I think the rest of the country it took longer, yeah.
1: So you were getting more attention for this movie uh, in New York City. And at the time, even after the film released, you were still doing uh, uh, New Wave modeling, right?
2: No, no. Then I uh, signed with Ford.
1: You're talking about the... the...
2: Ford, modeling, Ford Modeling Agency is, yeah, they're the really, really well-known modeling agency okay. in, in New York. So, yeah, I signed with Ford. And you know I was going up for other movies but I I have to tell you I I uh I got I got a, a, a part in Crocodile Dundee know, yeah. and with that and with that I joined the union but I don't understand how Hollywood works and I didn't understand what I was doing and I you know I I just got tired of auditioning I just I was auditioning and auditioning and auditioning and I didn't understand what I was doing wrong and why it wasn't happening for me. And, you know, and frankly, people were dying. They Mm -hmm. were dying of AIDS. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? I'm spending my time, you know, auditioning. This is my life. I, you know, I have to do something to help people. So I I went back to school and I became an art therapist Mm -hmm. with the idea of working with AIDS patients, really. And I went back to school. I got got tired of auditioning. And I didn't want to move to Hollywood. I'm really, a, I was really a New Yorker, and I didn't want to move to Hollywood. And I thought, well, if you don't want to move to Hollywood, what are you doing?
1: You started to then do art therapy for people who are uh, mentally, chi- uh, mentally um, not capable, disabled. mentally so, Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, in the uh, psychiatric, psychiatric hospital.
1: Yeah. Okay. How long did you do that after this movie?
2: I, I did it. I did it uh, in di- with different populations for as my career.
1: After this movie came out, I read that a few years later, you wrote a novel based on the movie.
2: Yeah, I did. I wrote a novel. It's only one take of the movie. It's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's one view how you could see the movie. And then there's other ways to see the movie. One of the, the things about this movie is you can see it a lot of different ways. Because we also wrote a, 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 a first dra- a kind, almost a first draft of a, of Liquid Sky Two, that has n- nothing to do with the novelization. Oh. <laughs> it's a totally different view of the movie. So the reason I'm doing this interview is, well, yeah, we we need an investor to give us some money to make another one. <laughs> <laughs> of course, everyone needs an- somebody to
1: give money And the truth it. comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what what were some of the differences between the novel and the movie?
2: I don't know if you've read Anita Luce. Uh, anyway, she this, this character, Margaret, I made her simpler. And I wrote it from the character's point of view.
1: So the whole novel so is from her?
2: The whole novel is from the character's point of view, yes. Yeah, it's way different from the movie, but uh, I don't know how good it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is there any scenes that were added or subtracted? No,
2: no. No, no, it's based on the plot, but it's just, it's a different take on the movie,
1: yeah. Assuming that Margaret, uh, the character, is still alive, uh, what would she be doing now?
2: Oh, for for that, shouldn't you see the second one?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Touche. So, Liquid Sky 2, that's still being materialized? I read Slava said in the commentary, he said... That he would like to talk about Margaret's journey back to Earth and what happened to her after she got pulled up to the spaceship, but then that would say that he would concrete have said that Margaret did go to a spaceship. However, he doesn't want to say that she did go to a spaceship or not.
2: <laughs> uh, we don't want to give anything away. Of
1: course, I mean that's that's fair. That's fair. That takes away that takes away the mystery of the film. I understand. Do you still keep in touch with the cast and crew members of this film?
2: Well, unfortunately, Susan dukas the shrimp lady has passed, and Bob Brady has passed mm. Bob Brady was actually he plays an acting teacher and he was acting teacher to most of the people in the cast
1: really so a lot of I, I
2: studied with him for many years before we made this movie.
1: Oh okay. we want to talk more about bob brady he he worked with he was the one who brought all the uh, actors on board or
2: well he was the casting director.
1: Oh, and then he get he was given a small part within this because he plays um, the uh, the character oh, that you meet. Yes,
2: the, he plays an an acting teacher.
1: <laughs> <laughs> must that would have been pretty, pretty
2: easy.
1: And um, what about any of the other uh, cast or crew members?
2: We don't know what happened to Paula Shepherd, who played uh, Adrian. A couple of people died from the roof scene died of died of AIDS, and and then the girl. There's also a girl from the roof scene who was. Who tried to stop stop the oh this is awful, you know the plane that went down that was trying to uh,
1: yes uh, bomb
2: Washington yes that's Debbie Jacobs she she actually tried to stop the the terrorist and he killed her he cut her throat
1: oh my god
2: yeah what? yeah so uh, uh, yeah yeah that's okay. what happened
1: you still talk with Slava and Nina
2: yes. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, you said that they were, that you still consider them friends. You talk regularly? Yes. Has he ever brought up uh, doing another movie aside from Liquid Sky? Or
2: Yeah, I had written uh, I think uh, two things with Slava other than Liquid Sky and uh, uh, trying to raise money for low-budget movies is not the easiest. As a matter of fact, uh, I just went to Spain with Slava. They invited us to uh, Spain to a screening of the movie, and then we did a and A in Madrid. It was fun. Yeah. Mm.
1: Lastly, I just wanted to say uh, I um, I just counted while, during the 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 rooftop scene, the fashion shoot that happens in your room in the movie while you're cooking, we're about to cook chicken, and I, I counted 13 people in the room, 15 if you count the photo doubles if they were in there. How was that plus the crew in the same room? I can't imagine that really worked
2: out. Well, there was, on the roof, there was room, and they had to stay out there until we were ready for shooting. Those people, those poor people were like baking in the sun. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. Everyone worked really hard on that movie. And one of them became a director, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, the um, Director
2: in, in Italy a television director in Italy.
1: There was another guy who played the, who was the Jimmy double who wound up producing The Crow. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- I read that, and uh, he also became a very well-known producer uh, nowadays. Yeah. And the the lady who was the double for Margaret, she was a singer, but Slava said he hasn't really kept in touch with her since then.
2: No, no, I I don't know much about her
1: is there anything that you would like to add more to this
2: no not really not really i have a website where i do a lot of artwork now and the website is Anne carlisle gallery and uh that's where my artwork is if anyone wants to see the kind of bizarre things that i make
1: that's where i saw it i i saw your art and i was like wow this is fantastic i love it <laughs> It was wonderful to talk to you, Anne.
2: Nice to talk to you. Thank you for calling.
1: I loved hearing the stories about the making of this movie and sitting down and talking with Anne. It's just so cool for me to hear firsthand experiences and those involved in making these movies. If you're interested in watching Liquid Sky, it's available to stream on Amazon Prime and Shutter right now. It's also available to rent at Videodrome for $5 for a week. They have the Vinegar Syndrome version, which also has a commentary track with Anne and Slava on it. And there's also a ton of behind-the-scenes footage and various different interviews about this movie. Again, this is going to be Cult Classics with Chris. This is going to be a series of interviews that I'll be releasing in between classic American movies in which I will be doing firsthand discussions with those involved in making cult classic films. I just want to say thanks for listening and I'll see everyone next time.